message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Right. Good to see you. Uh, my name's Kevin. We're going to spend a little bit of time now um, looking at the Bible. And, yeah, what kind of church is this where we get one or two people who are pleased to spend time in the Bible? Should we try that again then? We're going to spend time in the Bible. (laughs) Great, if if you're not chuffed now, I've got no chance in half an hour, have I? Um, I thought what I'd do this morning, Graham asked me if I could... um, mention a few times the prayer meeting tonight, which is at the Hallmark Hotel at 7 o'clock. And uh, so what I thought I'd do is try and just set that meeting uh, in a context which I hope you're going to find helpful. So if you have a Bible, uh, I really need you to turn to Genesis chapter 1, or scroll to Genesis chapter 1, or click Genesis chapter 1, and uh, you might find it helpful just to uh, follow me through some of the things that... um, We're going to be looking at verse-wise. So I I just want to put what a church prayer meeting is all about in some kind of context. Okay, that's that's my aim. So Genesis chapter 1, we're going to start with um, this element of the creation story, verse 26. This is uh, a conversation that is going on within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So this is the the very first. I'm sure there's a whole variety of views here about what Genesis uh, chapter 1 is, is really all about and how it really panned out. But what we have here is a very clear story of God creating men and women, a man and a woman, blessing them and giving them an instruction, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So right at the beginning of the Bible, we have this idea that God's plan and purpose is to fill the earth with people who are in a loving and worshipping relationship with him. Okay? Is that okay to start with? I'm going to tick the points off as we go. And we find that the whole model for that is actually God himself. That God himself is Father, Son and Holy Spirit, a kind of loving community whose, whose aim, whose desire is to fill the earth with people who know him and love him. So God himself is a missional God. I just want to read just a short bit from David Devonish's book, what on earth is the church for? It's a little bit old now, and I'm not going to attempt to uh, impersonate Dave Devonish. But he does say this. <laughs> it's worth noting that both mission and community have their origins 
in the doctrine of the Trinity. The Trinity of Father, Son and Holy Spirit functioning in loving relational unity is the perfect community. And the Trinity is the model of mission. The Father sends the Son, the Father and Son send the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is perfect community and community in mission. It's in the very nature of God that there is a joint enterprise to fill the earth with people who know him and love him. That's his very first command and instruction to Adam and Eve. Now, if you like a really good chunky read, and you don't mind grappling with some issues, this is an amazing book, Marriage, Sex and the Service of God. And if you have children, or you're thinking of having children, uh, this might just shake your worldview. I, I really, I spent time with this when I first read this. He does deal with all kinds of issues of childlessness and so forth. He, he, it's a very thorough book, but just this brief sentence from Christopher Ash. It is God's general will and purpose that when a man and woman come together in marriage, they should have children. The project, if we may call it that, of the conception, birth and nurture of children is a natural and integral part of their service of God in marriage. They have children, not for their own sakes as parents, nor for the children's sake, but for the sake of contributing to the great task entrusted to humankind. Now, you just have to get your head around that. If you're a parent, you might understand nothing else I say today because you'll be, you'll be chewing this one over. The whole purpose of having children is to fulfil God's commission to fill the earth with people who know him and love him. Because God's mission will outlast you. God's mission will outlast Mel and I. So he's given us this responsibility. Raise a new generation of people who will know him and love him and bring him glory in the earth. Be fruitful. Multiply. Increase in number. That's what God sets out to do. Now that, sh- that, that really challenged my thinking about what it is to parent children. But, but the command, raise them up in the loving nurture of the Lord so that they can carry on his mission when you're no longer here to do it. Challenging stuff. Okay. Now, like most parents, Adam and Eve had a kind of mixed mixed set of results with their kids. And generally, as, as the story of Genesis goes on, people begin to turn away from God. There is that rebellion that takes place, and eventually it gets to the point where God looks at people in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, and he sees how great man's wickedness on the earth has become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. So he sends, he picks a righteous man. He finds Noah, a righteous man and his wife and their three sons and their sons' wives. And he says, right, we're going to start here. And the flood comes and there's destruction. And when Noah and his family are saved, in chapter 9, verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The, The mission that he gave to Adam and Eve That kind of went wrong fairly quickly. He starts again with Noah and his family. And he gives them the same mission. Fill the earth with people who know me. 
and they have mixed success. And their descendants have mixed success. And then in chapter 12, God starts again with a man called Abraham. And he says to him in verse 1, Leave your country, your people and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Here again is God's mission right from the outset to bless every nation and people group on the earth to bring them into loving relationship with him. And as the story of Abraham's descendants goes on through the Bible, they have some great moments of loving God. They have some very powerful experiences of of their relationship with God. The rescue from Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the, the, the defeat of their enemies as they're going into the promised land. They have those moments where David brings the ark into Jerusalem or or Solomon dedicates the temple and the power of God is there. They have kings like Hezekiah and Josiah who bring the people back to God. They understand corporate worship. They rediscover the book of the law. They know God is there. They have righteous kings who, who, who bring social justice. They understand what it is to love one another, actually, this nation. They understand what it is to care for the poor, to set slaves free, to cancel debts. They understand what it is to look after the widows and the fatherless. They, they understand what it is to love one another. What they never really get to grips with is loving people outside of their immediate community. They love God with mixed success over the years. They love one another with mixed success over the years. What they never really get to grips with is that God has called them to fill the whole earth with people who know them. And they get into, into that kind of mindset of, we are the chosen people. It's us. It's about us. And they begin to despise people who are not with them. Every morning, the head of a Jewish household would pray, thanking God that he was not a Gentile. They saw themselves as separate and different. And yet, there's this constant looking forward to a time when a king will come who will break out with that, who will, who will break them out of that kind of mindset and that mould. Psalm 72 is one of those psalms that looks ahead at what this king will be like. Endow the king with justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness, He will judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. The mountains will bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. He will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. He will crush the oppressor. This is a great king in relationship with God, bringing justice into the world. But also in verse 8, he will rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The desert tribes will bow before him. His enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of Sheba and Seba will present him gifts. All kings will bow down to him. All nations will serve him. In verse 17, all nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed. Isaiah begins to look forward to this 
kingdom that breaks out of uh, an Israel-only mindset. A very famous passage in Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and power. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. This is someone who is going to be an absolute great relationship with God. And they look forward, verse 9. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. When he gets into the servant songs a little bit later on in Isaiah, in chapter 49, and and Israel would have understood this is about them, As a nation, we understand this as about Jesus. He says to him, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. That They love God, they've grasped that. They love one another, that's enshrined in their laws. But one day, a king is going to come who will take the glory of God into the whole nation. So when Jesus arrives, and he starts talking to the people of his day about God's desire to do that, they haven't got it. That It's it's not in their thinking. And he starts to tell them parables. Matthew 21, he tells them the parable of the tenants. This man who planted a vineyard. And he had people in there who were harvesting the fruit. And he'd send his servants to them. And they'd beat the servants up and stung them. And eventually he sends his son. And they kill the son. And Jesus says to them, what's the owner going to do? And they say, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. He will rent a vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. And Jesus said, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce fruit. When he's talking in Luke's Gospel, and he's getting into the parables uh, in, in Luke's Gospel, we hear what is a shocking parable for the people who heard it. <laughs> I can't remember where it is. An expert in the law comes up to Jesus and asks him what he has to do to inherit eternal life. I've got it now. Luke chapter 10. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus does the classic thing of answering a question with a question. What's written in the law? How do you read it? And the expert of the law says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus basically says, Well done. That's right. Love God. Love one another. Are we getting out? Is this subtle enough? Love God, love one another. That sums up the law. And the guy feels like a bit of an idiot. I forgot where I was for a minute. He feels like, oh, I've just answered my own question. It's obvious I've tried to trap him. I look really stupid. And he feels he has to justify himself. So he says to Jesus, well, then who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells him this story about someone getting beaten up and left on the side of the road to die. And the really good and worthy people of their their society don't want to have anything to do with him, because it's unclean. 
but one of their most hated enemies comes and takes care of him. A Samaritan, mixed race, idolatrous, somebody that the Jews would have nothing whatsoever to do with. Enemies, historical enemies, hundreds of years of enmity. And he comes and he loves this man and he takes care of him. And Jesus says, your neighbour is not your fellow Jew. Your neighbour is everyone you meet. The mission of God is not just to have a relationship with him and be a lovely, warm, collective cuddle of Christians in a church. The mission of God is to love God, love one another, and love those who don't know Jesus yet. He wants to fill the earth with people who know him and who love him. And we have to break out of the mindset that it's okay just to love fellow Christians. And they can't get it. They don't get it. When he's talking about being the good shepherd uh, in John chapter 10, you can have some great fun with Mormons over this verse. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Um, if you've never talked to a Mormon about that verse, uh, Jesus is not speaking about the occasion when he went to America. Uh, he, is, he is talking about the Gentiles. He is trying to break these people out of their thinking that they're the special few and nobody else really counts. Now there's others. I'm going to bring others in. So right at the end of Matthew's Gospel, when he comes to uh, tell the disciples what it is that he wants them to do, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Go to all nations. Break out from your current mindset. I want to fill the earth with people who know and love God. Break out of it. Go. Now, some people call this the Great Commission. I think that's, I'm, I'm not sure how helpful that is, actually. I don't think that Jesus is, is saying, we're not commissioned by Jesus to do this. We are co-missioned with God to do this. Because this has been God's mission from the moment he created Adam and Eve. And he says, I want you to join me in it. Yeah? So... Jesus is crucified and buried and resurrected. And the disciples are sitting around, not really quite sure what to do, so they pray. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And Luke, Luke fails to tell us the next thing that happens. Because the next thing we know when we're reading Acts is that they're out in the streets and people from all around the known world are hearing the gospel in their own nations. What happened in between? They left the house. They left the house. Because when the Spirit comes on the disciples at Pentecost, the missional Spirit of God 
he thrusts them out of their house, out of their comfort zone, out of their holy huddle, into the streets so that everybody can hear the gospel. The missionary spirit of God gets them out and among the people. And we find that that continues to happen through the book of Acts. Out in the streets, Stephen is martyred and he sees heaven opened and a great persecution breaks out against the church. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4, where does Philip go? Those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. He went to the very place where their most bitter enemies were and he proclaimed Jesus. And what happens? Miraculous signs. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many. Many paralytics and cripples were healed. There was great joy in the city. It had broken out. It had gone to the Gentiles. The Spirit of God was empowering the church to fulfill God's mission to fill this earth with people who know him. In Acts chapter 9, as Saul is hell-bent on destroying this new sect and on his way to Jerusalem, there's a faithful man praying in his house called Ananias. And God says to him, I want you to go and pray for Saul. And Ananias says, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Well, the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. Because I'm breaking out. I'm going all around the world with this news. Peter is praying on the roof of his house when he has a vision that leads him to the house of a centurion called Cornelius. And Peter goes inside and he says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. And he began to preach the gospel to them. And as he preached, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter says, if this is what the Holy Spirit is doing, we're not going to argue with that. Let's baptise them. They've broken out. And suddenly, the most incredible church planting ministry is on its way. In what some people consider to be the most significant prayer meeting ever. You know... One or two you remember last week, anyway. <laughs> in Acts 13, they're there, what are they doing? They're praying, and they're fasting, and the Spirit of God comes, and he says, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul. And out they go, out they go, into Asia Minor, Turkey, around the Balkans. Paul ends up in Italy, he longs to get to Spain. Why? Because he wants to take the gospel to the world. And when he writes about what's happening with that, in Colossians chapter 1, I love this, He goes right back to Genesis chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says to them, All over the... Sorry. Faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing 
fruit and growing. Be fruitful. Increase in number. All over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit. And of course, although we're not there yet, we do know the end of the story. Because when we, we know that when the resurrected, ascended Jesus enters into heaven, this is what is sung. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And right at the end of time, in chapter 21, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. We're working towards a time when God's mission to fill the earth with people who love him is completed. That's, that's the process. That's the context. But it changes when the church prays and the spirit comes. That's when, that's when the whole context of mission changes. It was always there. It's always been God's plan and purpose. But it's not until the disciples are praying together and the Holy Spirit comes upon them that they are thrust out and the good news is taken to all peoples and all nations. And that is our call. There's many things about church life that are good. It's great to hear stories of Smile this morning. It's fantastic. We love you to help with the welcome team. It's so important to do that well. You know, we love our worship leaders. We love the people who do refreshments. We love those who set up. We love our life group leaders. Everything we do, they're so important. But they are not an end in themselves. They serve the mission of God to fill the earth with his glory. And the church only really catches that in prayer meetings. That's the, that's the testimony of the book of Acts. When the church gets together to pray, the missionary spirit of God comes and mission happens and it comes outward focused. Now, it's good to pray for one another. It's good to pray for the things that we're doing. Don't, don't mishear that. But the whole purpose of God is to reach those who don't know him yet. I'm going to read you a couple of provocative things. Jim Simbala, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Um, don't agree with everything he says, but it's, it's good to read books by people like this. And he quotes your favourite verse as well. If we truly think about what Acts 2.42 says, <laughs> they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We can see that prayer is almost a proof of a church's normalcy. Calling on the name of the Lord is the fourth great hallmark in the list. If my church or your church isn't praying 
we shouldn't be boasting in our orthodoxy or our Sunday morning attendance figures. And he speaks about how revival starts. I'm not promising you revival. The history of past revivals portray this truth. Whether you study the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, the Welsh Revival, the 1906 outpouring on Azusa Street, or any other period of revival, you always find men and women who first inwardly groan, longing to see the status quo changed in themselves and their churches. They begin to call on God with insistence. Prayer begets revival. If our churches don't pray, and if people don't have an appetite for God, what does it matter how many are attending our meetings? And in Colin Urquhart's introduction to Colin Whitaker's book, Great Revivals, fantastic read. Although much of this book is a review of past blessing, Colin is keen to draw out certain principles that are common to most or all revivals. Paramount among these is the centrality of prayer. Revivals begin as God's response to the heart cries of his people, not only praying for the lost, but facing their own need of spiritual revival. I'm not saying that if we get together tonight and pray, there will be revival. I have been in way too many prayer meetings in my life to be quite that naive. But I am saying this, if no one prays, there will be no revival. If we really want to get into the mission of God, if we really want to serve him in his purposes, we have to get together to pray. We have to call upon the missionary Holy Spirit to stir us to get out there with the gospel. And that's why we're praying tonight. Because the history of the churches, in Acts and in the revivals, the history of the church is this. When we get together to pray, God moves. Yeah? That's my summation. I'm actually not going to ask you to respond this morning because I'm not, I'm not looking for you to respond this morning. I'm looking for you to respond tonight. If we really believe this, if you possibly can be there, the way to respond to this call of God is to be there tonight, to pray together, to seek God for reaching out to this city, to this nation and beyond so that his mission and his purpose can be fulfilled in who we are as his people. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to close. Father, thank you that your mission, since you made this earth, is to fill it with people who are in relationship with you. We are blessed by your love for us. We're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful for your Holy Spirit. We're so thankful for your fatherhood. And Lord, we want to be on the same page that you're on. We want to be about your business. Jesus could say that. Lord, I want to be able to say that. We as a church want to say that. We're about our Father's business. And we know that is reaching the lost with the good news of the gospel. Father, stir our hearts to pray together. Stir our hearts with a love and a passion for the lost, for those who don't know Jesus yet. Oh, Lord, be with us tonight, Father. Send your missionary spirit to us tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen.
to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.